Um, <laughs> whoa, okay. Welcome to the first podcast. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Oh dear. Um, have, have a listen. Um, yeah, so basically the idea is um, doing a podcast on... Yeah, the, it's Very cool. Can... Yeah, we're going to do a podcast on the, on the journey. Um, so it's going to be like on my journey through life and mm. um, my business journey my life journey um all of sort of the adversities that i've been through i'm not quite sure how it's going to pan out but basically thinking um the reason why i first thought of it is i was i like, want to give back and in the past i was doing uh giving back by having an apprentice having apprenticeships mm. that was like my version of giving back but obviously now the company's getting bigger and bigger I, yeah I have to utilize my time. That's sick. Um, They're very good. I need to try and utilize my time more. And I was thinking, how can I give back on a much bigger scale? Yeah. And it struck me like to do a podcast because obviously only requires about two hours of my time. And potentially, you know, for young people, this could be an amazing thing because what I realized is I've got a wealth of people I know, you know, people like you think about my whole entire friendship network, my business network, my um you know yeah football network yeah um obviously not so, so not so directive in the sense of how it how you you meant to your journey but how they contribute also to your journey yeah exactly so how they all contribute to the journey so the initial idea was that um i think young people uh don't properly understand what it takes to become uh, you know, successful in life in, in different aspects, whether that be in life or more in a career. This was going to be more career based. And what I thought is that giving them insight into my own journey while each week bringing a new person, yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. so for example, you'd definitely be on it uh, one of the I'd days to talking you, yeah, about fashion. Um, like, literally, there's not one person that I know that are the same or do the same job. So, you know, and I, I've got. 200 plus so there's like 200 plus episodes just there and so while we'll fo- focus on a different part of a topic or a different part of the journey and obviously mm. some people will have six seven ten fifteen episodes in them some people will only have one or two yeah. or three you know it's quite and- good you can revisit as well and like you bring people back like you said like, i'm more than happy to help you and um we can we can revisit stuff and come back and say different different life achievements but um if you're making it career driven well, th- th- that was the general idea to begin with is like, oh, let's base it on career because it's like, I think for young people, which is what this is aimed at, mm. um, is, you know, giving them a bit of insight into what what does it take to actually be an electrician, you, you yeah, know, because yeah, a lot of them is just like, oh, go college and then you're earning 150 quid a day. Yeah, it's like, on. nah, what is it to, to, to own your own business? What is it to become a fashion director of a, of a very successful company? Yeah, yeah. What does it take? You know, so what was your journey? Your journey wasn't, oh, you know, <laughs> it, it was a tough, it wasn't easy. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It was a really, really tough journey. And there was like loads of pluses, loads of barriers, loads of downfalls. I think what you should touch on, which I think is very important. And I think it's good that, you do you do that anyway, but with our lives in particular, obviously we've had very different but similar in certain senses. But um, how those life experiences affect your journey in in the career element, I think that's very good to to touch on in the aspects of say like losing your father. Obviously, you weren't working then, but how that plays a part, and then growing up without a father during the process of you having a business and a support network for that, and how it makes you feel and oh. like picking you up. Yeah, 
what I think will be very, very good and something that I'm very conscious of um, at the, uh, I've been recently, especially mental health and mental stability through through that. Oh, definitely, um, 100%. And I think that'll be really well, good look, to touch on. Mate, you know, I work on that. myself all the time. Yeah, I, invest, exactly. I invest a lot of time and actually a lot of money. money yeah. More, you know, everyone else is buying bling and whatever else, whatever, and it, you know, that's not true. Yeah, but actually, yeah. but it's you what know, makes people but, happy and materialistic. No, things, yearly, you know, I invest know. like you could argue half of my salary into myself, <laughs> like yeah. as in developing myself. Yeah, of course. Um, by doing courses, whether it be to to become better as a business leader, whether to become better in business, or whether it be uh, becoming better, a better man, a better that's person, a personally, yeah. yeah. So no, let me really just, um, I'm just going to pause it quickly, yeah. So the name of the podcast is, um, I think I haven't, I don't feel I've quite landed on it. For the moment, it's either RH Journey or The Journey or something along those lines. Okay, well, if we call it The Journey. You came up with a name, actually. Well, after we spoke about it, you rang me and you were like, oh, I really think I'm really interested in this. And I feel there's a educational aspect that we can add to that. No, you- we talked about it. I didn't call you back because the, the chances of me speaking to you are very slim. <laughs> so I, um, but I, we talked about it at length setting on Mitchum Common. Yes. Um, or whatever common it is. Um, Figs Marsh. Figs Marsh. Um, so I, I remember the structure but I'm just searching for what we're calling it. But structure for me was um, purpose of the podcast, which is building up um, a story around this company and how the company came about and its founder member and director, Russell Hughes, um, his journey before he even became a company director is the starting point of the story. Um, Yeah. So then... Uh, we were hoping to talk about Russell's early life, uh, then his school days, and then the first steps that he took into becoming um, uh, a professional within the construction industry. So they, that was the general first go at telling this story. Okay. Um, and um, Should I put some context into why I thought, why... I thought we should start this podcast. That would be brilliant. Yeah. Okay. So I think for the moment, um, why I feel the journey or RIH journey sounds uh, appropriate to me is because, um, as you know, when I first uh, started the company, uh, one of the things I wanted to do was give back at the same time as, you know, beginning my business journey. And so I was hiring apprentices, but obviously as I've become big, uh, a lot busier and as the business has evolved I realized that leveraging the very little time I have um, it's I, f- I feel it's almost unfair to put it into one individual um, plus you know a lot of the times with these apprentices uh, you know I think they really do have a passion in the beginning but you know they life seems to take hold and uh, a couple of times I feel that the time and effort I've put into apprentice uh, these apprentices has, has not been they has not fulfilled not been fulfilled sorry hmm. so um, it got me thinking uh, with you know having less and less time how can I give back to the community how can I give back to society in a way that will 
you know, leveraging the little time that I can give, uh, but having a much wider impact. So I was thinking about, you know, young people, um, like, like basically imagine myself as a young teenager, 16, 17, you know, exactly where I was, even when, you know, when I remember even once you gave me some, some advice when I was a little bit lost at that age. And, uh, I thought that it's important for people to understand, especially young people, the journey of individual uh, peoples and individual uh, jobs, sectors. And then it got me thinking about how how lucky I am and with the wealth of uh, friends, uh, contacts through, you know, personal life, through football, through work. Um, I, I, can't, I can honestly say that I don't know one uh, friend, person, contact, you know, colleague, that I would say are the same or in the same industry or in the same business. So it got me thinking, you know, there's a lot of people who I can share my journey as well as um, giving in insight into other people's journeys. Cause you know, I think there's a, um, a perception out there that even the greatest jobs or, you know, whatever, if someone wants to be a pilot or if someone wants to be a radio show that, you know, there's a set, simple, easy path to getting there. And, and the reality of it is that, you know, it, it, it can be an exciting journey, but a lot of the time, you know, there's a, a lot of hardships, a lot of obstacles, a lot of barriers that you have to get through that life generally generally throw, throws at you. And so I thought it'd be interesting to explore that by unpacking my own journey and, and my own life and my own sort of trials and tribulations. So are you saying that not only is this podcast about the Russell Hughes journey, but it's also an inspiration for other people to learn from that journey and also an inspiration for other people who might want to share their journeys within this framework. Yeah, definitely. That's that for me, that feels like when I first thought of the idea that, that, that is at its essence, what I want it to be about, you know, share other people sharing their journey while, you know, giving little snippets or depending on how it flows. And what you, and what you was trying to, well, what you were explaining just back then was that you've got a very diverse, rich range of friendships, colleagues, links, networks, so that that represent all kinds of ways of um, making a living. Yep, yep. And therefore, there's a rich pool out there that we can draw upon as this podcast evolves. Definitely. Hundred percent, and I and I honestly feel that the contributions also from young people, you know, I feel like the, the there's an opportunity right now. There's only two of us, uh, but we've got two more mics. There's an opportunity to occasionally bring a young person in, uh, you know, who might be interested in, for example, becoming a carpenter, and you know, bringing one of my carpenters in or one of my very good friends who owns a very successful carpentry company, George Mills. And, you know, bringing him in and so he can ask questions about his journey and, and you know, what was his route into into that and giving some insight. That'd be really interesting. So not only broadcasting stories, but also enabling some kind of interaction yeah. between young, t- some of the people that you're trying to reach through this medium. Yeah, no, definitely. And, right. and then, you know, I think also... Um, you know, adding other elements. We've we've done a test run before this, mm. and I got uh, three of my best friends in, uh, all from different backgrounds, and no real structure to begin with. Just kind of flow, having a chat, just seeing where things sort of ended up. So, I think a mixture 
having having obviously structure that, that we've just discussed but also i guess throwing in sometimes uh a more friendly relaxed atmosphere which this will obviously be yeah kind of like a t- occasional chat room yeah 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 mix so up. the possibilities are endless exactly that's what's so exciting for me yeah so how do you we referred earlier to the the what the structure of this conversation might might take yeah so you are you happy to just begin your story where you want to begin it um yeah do you do you want me to just start or do you would you want to sort of sort of lead with some structure by asking questions well i mean the first question is because i know you very well and i've known you since you were about 13 or something oh yeah can we introduce you by the way we haven't even introduced you yeah well we were going to do that but i was completely uh, uh immersed in in listening to the process that you were describing and wanting to just affirm what we were talking about in relation to you but as far as me i'm just the father of one of your best mates yes um edmund pisano yeah. wanaham pisano sorry yeah and um ever since he was growing up um around that age you were almost like a part of the family so known you for years got involved with your uh, developing uh footballing uh, uh side of your life um yeah so you played with my teams when I was coaching uh, at the Bank of England. Um, what was I like as a player to coach? <laughs> uh, you, you had your moments, but a real pleasure. Because one of the things I really liked about developing and coaching you is your thirst for knowledge and self-improvement. I think that's one of the key... Well, I should really let you talk about this, but that's one of the key insights into your character that has helped you you know, become where you are today so um no very very good sponge-like character that wanted to know as much as possible and was desperate to improve and put a lot of time into improving whatever it was about so that was that and then I got involved in um your business I had my own business at the time we were helping each other yeah um and um yeah just sort of good mates um followed you um and want to do as much as possible to help you get done what you want to get done you know so um so i'm here to just kind of facilitate really this conversation this journey yeah this journey this conversation about your journey yeah and um so the first question if you want a bit of structure is you know what 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 was your earliest memories about um coming to Britain because you were obviously born in Kenya. Was it Nairobi? Yeah, so yeah. uh give you a bit of backstory then. Um yeah. I was born in Nairobi, Kenya. Uh for the Kenyan listeners out there, that's Aga Khan Hospital. Um in 1987, 3rd of the 3rd, that makes me 33. Um yeah, and I to be honest, I had a, an amazing uh child, childhood. Um I was very I, I've always said I was very lucky. Um, uh, brought up by amazing uh, mom and dad, um, and yeah, went to. I was, I was very uh, lucky, I guess, in the sense that I was sent to a state school, which is a rather than a private or public school, which would have probably been the norm for from someone from my background with you know having my dad, who was uh, British, and uh, my mom, who's Kenyan. Um, and so that was, I would say, it was the beginning beginning of my journey in my schooling life. Um, I was uh, 
the only mixed race um, kid in the school. Um, and, you know, I was, I was, I was treated very, very fairly there. And I never, I think that was the beginning of me never really seeing, um, color or, or, you know, or having any idea that I was, you know, I knew I was different because, you know, I looked different to everyone else, but I never really, uh, conceptualized it or, or made a thing of it. Um, and then. Yeah, so that was my early schooling life. Then um, my dad wanted uh, when I was twelve. My dad wanted us to. Can I can I take you back? Okay. Take you back one thing because um, I think it's worth mentioning. Yeah, um, that you've got a range of talents, but you did have a, a special talent, didn't you? Before you were twelve, was that running? I thought it was swimming. Oh yeah, swimming. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So so was... you represented. Who? Yeah, my uh, my county, Nairobi, Nairobi County. So, yeah, yeah I was one of the the fastest swimmers uh, for my school and for my county. Mm. Um, yeah, and I, I guess that began, and um, probably why I'm so competitive. Uh, we were lucky uh, to live in between um, two hotels. Mm. Um, it was in a block of flats because uh, my dad used to uh, open and run casinos. So uh, he had to work, needed, he, our house needed to be relatively close to sort of the, the area of his work. And so he used to, uh, I used to go swimming every single day. And obviously there was not many people to, to race. So uh, I used to get me to race myself, which was beating my own time. So every, every single day after school, um, after I'd done my homework, you know, go for a swim, and uh, after you know having practiced my, my my different strokes, breaststroke, front stroke, I would then race against uh, uh, myself every single day. So I, I I have never really thought about it, but I guess that was uh, the f- the beginnings of my competitiveness. Uh, and and that, that explains something to me is your thirst to improve as quickly and as comprehensively as you can. Yeah, you yeah. know, for, you know. A desire to get better. Yeah, it's true, actually. So, how did your dad incentivize you? You know, how did he encourage you to be like that? Um, uh, I mean, just positive reinforcement, positive encouragement, a lot of praise and encouragement. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, like I said, my my early childhood, uh, all I have is just yeah, just full of happy memories. I mean, I can't really think of a time where you know, any, I mean, there's one scary moment that I remember, but uh, other than that, it was just, yeah, all very positive, all very happy. That's brilliant. Um, and, you know, I had a very loving mom. My dad used to travel a lot, so he used to go open uh, casinos around the world. So he'd have to travel to Germany, West Germany, Iraq, Iran, all these developing countries that were finally, like, becoming, you know, democracies and were, were having uh, casinos and... I guess, you know, these sort of things. So he would always travel and we'd be left with uh, mum and my younger sister, Hannah. And uh, so at the same time, whilst I had a very happy childhood and he was always there, there was also periods, long periods, three months to, to sometimes even six months that he wasn't there. But um, again, I still remember that, you know, whilst it was sad that he was gone, you know, you know, there's a lot of structure in my life, went to school, looked after have have a massive family in Kenya. My mom has five brothers. Right. So uh, I think I have a hundred cousins or something uh, like that. 
shout out to all the Kamals out there. Um, yeah, so... So go back to what you were going to say about when, when you were 12. Um, yeah, so when I was 12, after having, uh, you know, a really great childhood in Kenya, I think my dad decided that he wanted uh, the second part of, our, I guess, our education to be uh, in England. He already had a house uh, and family back in England, uh, which we went back, we came back to Wimbledon Park, which is uh, where we grew up. That's in Wandsworth, right? Yeah, Wandsworth. Yeah. Brat, brat. Um, and uh, I think he wanted us to sort of get ec- educated at a secondary school. So um, so I think it was like a family deci- decision was made that we were going to pack up and move move to uh, back to back to Wandsworth. Actually, I've just realised that's a mistake. It's it's Merton. Yeah, my on my half. You're on the, the you're Merton. on the Merton side, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Your mum is anyway. Yeah, I spend more time in Wandsworth though. But yeah, that's true. Yeah, multicultural in the boroughs. Um, and yeah, so uh, we're planning to move over, and unfortunately, um, a month or two before we were about to uh, make the big move, tickets were booked, bags were packed, everything. Um, my dad unfortunately passed away. Um, I think he was he was swimming and uh, suffered a heart attack while he was swimming, and at the time, uh, people didn't act quick enough because it was a, a hospital. I think five or ten minutes away from from where he where where this happened, um, and obviously I, I don't think they there was people that were trained sufficiently. So unfortunately, they spent most of their time trying to resuscitate him in the side where if they'd just taken him to hospital, they probably would have made it, but. So that obviously was a bit of a bit of a shock. I That's still remember the day quite clearly. Now me and sister got off the school bus and coming home, and he was always there to to greet us on the balcony. Would always, you know, be there. And I, you know, I was a little bit older. I was twelve. My sister was nine, and uh, you know, I knew. I just knew instantly something was wrong. It was the first time into. I guess I had a, a real sense of my own intuition thinking about it now um and when i went upstairs you know just saw all these people in my house in my home and just yeah like running through like where's my dad and then yeah just being told sort of like bit of a shattering moment uh for me and obviously for my sister and my mom you know like that my dad was my best friend you know i used to do everything with him Mm. and uh so that was obviously very tough very sad um yeah very sad so we had a funeral there then uh we then had a flew to england uh to have another funeral uh because he had a lot, a lot of friends and family and then we went back to kenya and my mom was like right to me 12 years old what what, what do you want to do do you want to you know stay here we have a massive massive family network friends you know people who would be there for for us all the time or do we go to england where you know hardly got any family you know obviously dad had a lot of friends but you know we we were pretty much gonna be on our own but fulfill my dad's wishes of of me and my sister being educated out here and um you know i think my mom asked me uh but i think she had already kind of made the decision tough decision that we're gonna move here but I guess in my head, I was just like, you know, I just lost my best mate, my dad. So 
I guess I just couldn't uh, imagine living there without him. So I think as a family, we decided to uh, migrate, immigrate, migrate to to England. Yeah, yeah, whatever. God, that's a big thing to for the whole family to have to deal with. And so you you just up shot and moved. Yeah, literally just. I mean, I think we got back for like a month. I didn't ever go back to school. I know. So after the day my dad died, I never went back to, to school. Uh, I think I went back one day to see my best mate. I had two best mates, I remember them still, Bradley and Innocent, and uh, to pick up some stuff, books. You know, it's old school. School in Africa uh, is a bit like uh, the the old old school English system. You know, it's like... Slightly going back in time, you know, desks, locked desks. And um, I remember my dad used to tell me about school. I was like, oh, this is pretty much exactly the same. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, anyway, uh, and that was it. I never saw any of my friends, any of my classmates, just no one ever again. Just like literally uprooted um, and then off to the UK. So I don't want to go too deep into this story of coming to England, but we wasn't it quite a shock for you, those sudden that sudden change? Yeah, it was a massive shock. It was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to remember. So when we arrived as well, my dad, uh, the house was being rented out, and we couldn't just kick the people out of the house because it was being rented and tenanted out. So we actually had nowhere to stay. So I was shipped off to one of, no, no, tell the light. Actually, we went and stayed with my godmother, um, uh, Auntie Kathy, who was a, uh, my dad's best mate when they were growing up. Um, and we stayed there for, I think, you know, for eight, eight weeks or so. You know, they really kind of like took us under their wing um, and uh, looked out for us. But, you know, as you can imagine, any family who's going through grieving, coming into an actual, another family, probably put a lot of strain on uh, on on their relationship. And I do, obviously, quite young at the time, didn't really know what was going on, to be fair. But I think in hindsight, I do remember thinking, oh, not that we're being asked to move on, but we had to, like, kind of move on because, you know, being in someone else's house for eight weeks, when you're grieving, mum's grieving, us two are grieving, must have been difficult. Um, I can understand that. So then after that, we went and stayed with um, some friends that my mum knew, uh, Maggie, um, and uh, her family, her, another uh, it's a African, African family uh, who'd also migrated from Africa, but like had deep roots in, in, in the UK. And we stayed with them for like six months. That was, I think, quite a, a, a good stabilizer for, for us as a family. So was this in London? Yeah, we rented a room in uh, two roads away from from the house that, you know, that my dad's house, which was strange. Imagine rent, that three people sharing a room uh, in someone else's house when you've got, a, you know, a big house two doors down that we weren't able to yeah. to get into it. And presumably, all this time had you, did you weren't in school or did you go to school? No, we yeah. weren't in school. Uh, so I think there was like a six i think i can't remember about six months period not going to school because he my dad died in 
March. Um, so it was, well, I was in school by September. Right. So it would have been from all that, that timeline that I've just gone through would have been up till there. Then, um, can't remember if I started school and I was still living in our, uh, Maggie's house or not. Um, cause you're secondary age now, right? No. So obviously at that point, the UK system was still, um, oh, middle schools, wasn't it? Not the UK, Merton. That's right. Merton. So yeah. Park House, I went to Park House, which was still a middle school. Yeah. So I yeah. think I went to, cause it would have been year seven, but I, I arrived in year six. So like all your Eddie's and your Ryan Collette, who went to that school, you know, my, some of my good friends had just left to go to secondary school. Mm. And so I, I, I arrived uh, to Park House Middle School with my sister as well. So that was, that was quite good. We went to school together for uh, one year. Oh, so that was the school you went to before you transferred to Elliot? I didn't go to Elliot. Oh, of course not. No, I then went to Rutledge High School. I knew you went to school. another school. What? That was another high school within Merton, right? Yeah, in oh. Merton, Wimbledon, Wimbledon okay. Chase. Okay, okay. Well, I thought it'd be best for me to be sent to an all-boys school for, for discipline and whatever else. So I went from Park House, which was a good school, in all fairness. Uh, it was a, a lovely walk up to the school, you know, up uh, off a road. Hmm. Um, yeah, that was a bit, that part of my schooling is a bit hazy. Uh, but not, no incidents, no, no particular worries, no. No, not really. I remember my first day at school, um, you know, uh, I, to be fair, my most preliminary, it was my first day at school, you know, break time, <laughs> London school, break time is where, where it all happens. So, um, and they were playing pap. Pap, uh, not pat ball, they were playing football with a tennis ball. And to be fair, as you know, at that point, I didn't even start playing football till I was 18. I couldn't kick a ball to save my life. I was more athletic, running, swimming, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I remember scoring a, a goal just by sheer fluke at the time. And, you know, at break, at break time, and that kind of like settles you into the crowd a little bit. Um, but yeah, no, school was quite good. I grew up with some guys who lived in the area, um, had had made some friends quite quite quickly um and yeah and um, so you, you managed to ma you managed to cope with this shock of a transition you're you're living with your mum and your sister you eventually get into your own house you're going to a school and you seem to f find yourself accepted uh relatively adjusted happy no yeah. no no particular anxieties or concerns well my mum my mum was quite is a very you know i always say tough african woman and my friends always say the same as well but she my mum i guess was able to realize you know even through her grief that she was a mum and a dad at that point so she was very you know, very straight talking, you know, even as a 12 year old, she was saying some pretty, you know, straight forward things. Like she pulled me aside before, um, as we were picking the schools, I remember one day, you know, this, the school you're going to go to, you sh sort of still a decision. Do you want to stay here in England? 
you know um and she said to me she was like look three things you know you, you're gonna get bullied uh at some point and there's nothing i'm gonna be able to do about it uh the other thing was she said that you know we we grew up in in Wimbledon Park and at the t- at that time uh, you know i think other than Maggie and her family there were there were there's not many black families in the in the area so you know she she explained to me that we were one of the only black families in the area and that you know we all had to always be on our best behavior because people would be looking and watch, watching us whether that's true or not you know but it gave me uh, you know can't be playing loud music we can't be shouting and had all this energy that I had, you know, it can't be like running down the road and whatever. Because when I first came, you know, I used to say hello to everyone because that's what you do in Kenya. You know, you say hello to everyone. Everyone's very friendly. You're you're going in your neighbors' houses. You don't need to knock. You know, you don't. You you just turn up and just chill on the sofa and watch TV and stuff like that. That was sort of the culture that I grew up in. You know, very open, very friendly. And then when we came here, it was very. For me, it was very cold. You know, hardly anyone saying. When I, I remember even going around saying hello to people and it's like thinking you could see like <laughs> probably like who's this little kid saying hello to everyone. Um, so, yeah, the, the, in, you know, I guess there was a massive contra- uh, contrast to from being at home where it's warm, sunny, everyone's really warm and happy and smiling to um, I wouldn't say it was miserable, but, you know, everyone's quite, you know, obviously head down, focused on what they're doing. Uh, neighbors not talking to each other even though you live right next door you know just pleasantries hello hi that's it but I was like when we moved on to Stroud Road like you know I was like hello to every single person on the street Um, so um, I guess going back to the schooling thing uh, what my mom was saying you know the second thing the third thing she said is that in Africa as well, it's all about respecting adults, whether they're right or wrong. You know, there's there's a clear uh, respect for, for for your elders, um, and and any any person can tell you off. You know, it's not not oh, you can't talk to my kid or you can't tell my kid this. So my mom made it very clear that you know that if the teacher says that I was in the wrong or head teacher or whoever any sort of a for authoritarian, she was going to back them. And, and that, that was it. And at first, you know, didn't really sink in, but, you know, as, as time, as time went on and, you know, what you go to school, I think the biggest difference about entering secondary school is that everyone, everyone doesn't matter. You know, I've, I've just traveled from Kenya. I've lost my dad and whatever else. No one really knows anyone's story. So I think in hindsight now, like looking back, you know, whilst I'd been through traumatic things, you know, loads of the other kids had probably been through their own traumas or own, own, you know, issues. And, but it's almost like a fresh slate. So everyone's a bit, you know, I, I, I don't know, but that's what it felt like to me. The first year, everyone's kind of like, you know, finding their place and, and everything else. And actually my first year was, was quite good at Rutlish, you know, enjoyed it actually. And that, would that be year nine? No, that's for me is year seven. Oh, right. No, no, when, you, when you're in the middle school you, or the upper, the upper school? Uh, secondary school, yeah. So year seven, I joined year seven. Yeah, year nine, two. All right. Yeah. Okay. So you settle into this secondary school in year seven and... So the first thing yeah. I noticed yeah. uh, was I was way, way ahead of everyone else, but academically. Not, like, I'm not just saying this, like obviously in Kenya... 
you know, education is taken very, very seriously. Like my school, I actually think I have an arch back because my school bag was probably heavier than I was. I had to carry, you know, maths, English, science, all of the books every day, uh, as well as all of the books that you had to study. So, um, you know, when the first thing I did notice is like, you know, I'd already done circumferences and pie charts and pie and stuff and, you know, a park house, I was already ahead. Um, and then when I went to secondary school in, in the key subjects, maths, English and science, um, I was actually quite, quite ahead. I think, well, you know, I don't, I don't think I would change anything in, in my life now looking back, but um, I think that they probably should have pushed me a year ahead because what ended up happening is, you know, realizing after a while I was ahead, you know, you're in class and you're being asked to do all these things that you already know how to do with these. So the rest of the time, you know, I was just kind of like ended up being a bit bored. And so began my chatty, my talk, my talk, my talkative personality, I guess, started to come out. Yeah, I'm not sure if that was a policy, Merton, to advance a year student that was particularly uh, able but it has a got background in education it's not common it's really not common and the idea is that um, rather than push kids up because the curriculum should be um, adjusted to the needs of the student but unfortunately a lot of the time that differentiated learning where you're trying to always match and stretch the student or whatever they know or whatever they can do is difficult for teachers and it often doesn't happen. So it usually leads to some form of, um, if if it's not a very well-organised classroom, di- disaffection um, oh, yeah. um, and uh, problems. So, and it's, it is, it's interesting that you, you, you felt quite knowledgeable as soon as you came in because presumably you had... I mean, we, we would call that in in, 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 uh, in in my day, we would have called that a very structured formal education that you had. So it's very much knowledge-based, based on making sure you knew um, the key principles and, and facts uh, around English, maths and science, especially when it comes to English, about knowing how to write formally, how to spell, how to get good grammar and so on so you probably felt pretty comfortable at first yeah and then and then well, what the, what what what's really important though is is for your for the stories if you you say you developed your chatty style so you you're, you 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 weren't cross about the fact that you weren't getting stretched you made no. a, you made a bit of a joke about it and you wanted to what chat and keep yourself interested and yeah i guess i was just keeping myself interested because as, as well the yeah. whole school structure is completely different in in kenya mm. you're getting beaten for not doing your homework you're getting beaten for talking in the class you had class prefects mm. so you know i actually remember you know i was i was pretty much in the prefects books a lot of the time um you know i always worked hard and did my work but you know i actually when i'm thinking back you know uh, my nature was always kind of like that. I was always, you know, what, one of many students getting, because you know what they used to do is like a hose pipe cut down and uh, it either be on your hand, you know, 
three, four, five lashes from a grown human giving you a whack or on your backside for the boys. So, so um, th- this is remarkable because um, you're talking, um, what year are we talking about when you um, so came over? 1999. Okay. So 1999, you're in the educational system. 1999, I'm a head teacher in a um, Lambeth school, primary school. Um, now, I can't remember exactly when corporal punishment was abolished in the UK. Yeah, I didn't know what it was called. That's what yeah. it's called, corporal punishment. Corporal punishment. Um, but you're describing what it was like when I went to school. That's what I'm, yeah, yeah, and that's what I realised. And probably what your dad yeah. went through. And that's why I think, yeah. so maybe I da- adapt to corporal because my dad had been through it, so it was not yeah. like some unusual thing for, for and my mum had been through it as well. So, yeah. you know, us, I remember, yeah, get, if you didn't do your homework in front of the class, you know, a few beats, yeah. talking in class and, you know, the teachers would go off, you have a school prefect, writing notes, you know, your uniform's not clean, all of that stuff. Yeah. So I actually, you know, my my early education was, I guess if you call it corporal punishment was, you know, there was a lot of that going on. Yeah. We had to, uh, beginning of every assembly, every day, go stand around the flagpole and sing the national anthem. So... That was I a think complete I think different. I and think, then I think the Kenyan uh, educational system actually predates mine in the nineteen sixties and seventies. I think that was going back about another 10, 15 years. Yeah, yeah. So more like the fifties. Yeah, I know. So imagine yeah. going from that. Yeah. <laughs> to come in, you know, I haven't. I was. I guess I got immersed, and I was talking and thinking about, uh, you know, my dad's death and stuff, and the process of us. Um, but some of the things I missed is like. Yeah, shock in classes and not even in classes, just in going to friends' houses and like, you know, absolute shock that, uh, you know, people were just effing and blinding at their parents and or telling a teacher to fuck off or, you know, all just the lack of um, dis- disrespect from my perspective was just shocking initially, you know, was just like, what is going on here type thing. So, you know, even with uh one of the things that i would never is like some of my my best friends some of my other friends is like if i went around to someone's house and they started talking to their mum or their dad like in a disrespectful way you know i'd pull like i'd kick i'd probably you know grab them by the by the back of the scruff of the neck and be like mate don't talk to your parents like while i'm here or whatever so and that was I guess the respect that was instilled into me through the culture and and my upbringing in kenya that's really important that um, to, to focus on. So because I remember you said that earlier about the key messages that your mum wanted to imp- impress and impose on you to remind you when you first came here was this, this particular one around respect, but not just for others, but particularly for elders. Mm. And that operates within the school system and in the community. Um, so... If we fast forwarded to your business now, yeah, one of the key um, values of your business, which comes strongly through to me, because although you're a good friend of mine, I've actually employed you a number of times, and one one of the things that is absolutely key for for me for getting a tradesman in is the level of courtesy. And respect that 
the person um, that's coming into my home shows me as a customer. And you've always been very strong on that. I mean, I got a guy in today, this new home insulation grant for the government, and I needed a quote, and I got this guy from a local business. Now, he wasn't discourteous, mm. but he was nothing like the way you are when you come into a, a home. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of things that are hard to describe about what you do when you come into a home um, that make a person uh, feel valued and 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 respected and comfortable in and, their own and home and comfortable yeah um but you know rather than break that down at this moment because it's something we'll probably look at later on down the line um it, it is actually a f- must be one of the most powerful ingredients for how you've been able to grow as a company because essentially your company is based on your character and the trust that people have in you to show respect courtesy and then when it comes to getting the work done having those same attitudes towards the work yeah you know or think about how difficult it is to to get that across to to the people that work for you and are representing the company you know yeah once that's been probably the biggest struggle that i've had in in growing and you know there's a couple of people who probably haven't had the the full service that 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 they should have in the in the three years that the company's fully been operating and but it's something i work very hard and tirelessly on trying to you know make ensure that every customer you know from the moment that we arrive at the door or they ring the telephone or go on the instagram now you know to the very end that the journey the customer journey you know it's important it's really important to me um that everyone receives that same you know same experience um but it's 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 really difficult it's really really difficult you know i'd say difficult in sense of getting other people within your company to be able to model those behaviors yeah Yeah. because you know initially i started with one one apprentice and so that part's easy you know you train them you're with them every day they can see you every day you can you can really impart your knowledge and, you know, why we do things a certain way and why, you know, the things that annoy you and anger you. And, you know, at first it seems like little tiny stupid things, but eventually, you know, they get it. that. That for me is what a, a real apprenticeship's about. And that's difficult to impart on um, other people who might not have that either starting their journey or, you know, already qualified or, or very skilled people because if you haven't been taught that from an early age it's, it's very difficult to get them to understand I've, I've i've actually you know um two two of my builders uh recently have had to recently let go um of um and you know in all fairness they've been with me from from pretty much the beginning of the journey um and their workmanship has been you know generally really good but one of one of the the, the biggest reasons why in the end we, we had to, you know, sort of part ways, you know, amicably, you know, they probably will work or do some subcontract in the future, even though that's not the model I prefer, is because they were unable for me to empathize and understand, you know, that we are going in someone else's home and, you know, and you have to be empathetic and, and understand that you're going into someone's home. It's not just going in, do a job and leave, which, you know, that part always did amazing, but I always felt like I was like constantly, not only them, you know, 
some other people in the company constantly having to make amends for their behavior or their lack of empathy or, you know, not thinking about the customer or when a customer asks them to do something, you know, well, don't ask me type, you know, type attitude. Um, and so whilst they, their work has always been brilliant and great, you know, that side of dealing with the customer and not understanding, just do it right the first time because I'm going to send you back. You know, I've grown the company to, to, to 26 people today. And, you know, they were the first two builders I had and even, you know, still struggled. I think some people just, you know, are not, it's, they're not, just not willing to change regardless of how well you treat them. You know, I don't think they ultimately, you know, they're, they're stuck in their ways. And it's, it's really, it's a shame because, you know, I've, for three years, I've paid, you know, tens of thousands of pounds, sending them back, rectifying their jobs, trying to get them to understand that I'm never going to change the way I think or the level of service that I expect my customers to have. And, you know, mm. and having that empathy when a woman's alone in their home, you know, you, there's a certain way you have to, you have to change the way you, you, you are and talk and, you know, have to be bit of a chameleon with when you're dealing with customers and be empathetic to 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 what's going on in the home and so I spend a lot of time making sure that I'm front front of house front front line meeting all of the customers making sure you know they feel very comfortable and and uh explaining you know this sort of experience that they 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 can hope to to receive mm-hmm. and if they don't you know we always go back you know I, I don't think there's any customer out there if you're listening and and there is let let me know um you know we might not get it perfect that's that's the thing you know we're, we're striving to be excellent but you know it's difficult because we're dealing with human beings really and and and, and the building game as well you never know what you're going to uncover so it's getting that quality control so that that that's a good illustration of how you go from attitudes and values to a good product at the end a job well done and a happy customer. Yeah. So so we picked that respect issue up around about sort of 12, 13, 14 age. Yeah. Um, but there's other characteristics in this Russell Hughes story that has contributed to you getting to where you are today. And yeah. we talk, touched upon it earlier, this sort of tenacity and this, kind of desire strong drive to improve even when things might be a bit difficult and and tough and you have to work hard and so what the question's coming is what what were the some of the challenges between beginning secondary school and finishing secondary school so that you started to think about the world of work what what kind of experiences stand out for you to illustrate how you coped well, um, with school as a transition from school to work? Um, so I think there's a lot of key moments. You know, as I said, the early first year was really good uh, in, in Rutledge was really good. And then there's a period where I got bullied quite badly. Um, I was very small. I guess Kenyans grow 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 very, very late. Um, hit puberty very late so you know by the time year eight uh, year eight year nine 
was coming along. I was still very, very small. Can I just ask a quick question? Yeah. Given that you weren't living in Kenya and you seem to be pretty confident about what you know about the maturing Kenyan, how, how do you know that? Um, Is that through all your people that you know back in Kenya? Yeah, and I guess my own, I'm probably just going off my, my own experience. <laughs> probably not. So should we, broad, you, statement to say. Should, we, should we say that just you uh, matured late physically? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, the other thing I say, uh, you yeah. know, most Kenyans look, my, like my mom still looks very, very young. And, you know, uh, all my cousins still look very young. Right. Other Kenyan people I meet look very young. So I guess that was what I was basing it on, oh, okay. not just myself. So not, not just sort of... Um, um, a, a, for me, they seem age a lot uh, better, I guess, is the correct way. Or so, so I always assumed, because, you know, I thought there was something wrong with me. Everyone else was like, you know, reaching five foot eight, five foot seven, six foot. And I was still bloody... However small I was, four foot three, <laughs> I can't remember how small I was, but, you know, um, and so I think that was uh, maybe the reason I, was, I started getting bullied, you know, being Kenyan. I was actually also, you know, I was probably emotionally, I was still probably really unstable. So whilst I could always hold my own, you know, if it came to intellectual battles or cussing each other or calling each other names, when it, um, it was always the one who's picked on because of my size, you know, mm. well, let's do a wrestling move or like, you know, all of this, that and the other, because you're, you're going to all boys school. So it's testosterone fighting, yeah, all of that stuff's going on. So, but yeah, so I got bullied for, for, uh, quite badly again, could, couldn't go tell mum cause she already told me this was going to happen, you know, in her own way. Um, and I guess that was my first, like learning, having already needing to learn how to deal with my dad's death, then learning how to, right, what am I going to, what's going to, what am I going to do here? You know, you know, learning how to, to survive, getting your survival instincts in check. Like, okay, so, you know, I'm not, this is not happening. I'm not having this, you know, and trying to figuring out how, how are we going to get this to, to end? How am I going to, how am I going to beat this? And I guess that, that, that started trying to figure that out. Um, without intellectualizing it, you know, I managed to to figure it out, you know, um, making friends with the right people, standing up to to the to the tougher bullies, you know, never backing down. That was my thing, you know. I'd never, ever, ever back down, ever. So you know, used to get beaten badly, but I would never back down ever. Like you know, it doesn't matter who it was in the school, you know, picking fights I was going to lose, um, and things like that. I think it, for me, it's funny. It, for me, it felt like it changed in one day. Like one day, this uh, kid in my English class was just like, move up my suit or something and started slapping me across the face. And I was just, I'm not moving, obviously not backing down. Slap me again, slap me. And then one day, I, not one day, that lesson, I just got up and I fucking, sorry, excuse my French, just gave him, just slapped him as hard with all my strength as I could. And the whole class went erupted and, chairs were being thrown and then that was it maybe I'm being you know picking that moment but for me it felt like that sort of changed everything in school it's quite interesting this because I've known a lot of cases around bullying and it can be really destructive on the self-esteem and the self-confidence of a young person and 
you decided that you weren't going to essentially get depressed about it. You were going to see it through and, and beat it. Yeah. That was, so where's that strength come from? Where mm. would you, what would you pinpoint? Is that in you? Is that from your family, from your upbringing? Yeah, I think it comes from my upbringing. I think, you know, um, up to 12, as I say, you know, that was another thing I realized quite young. Well, what, 13, 14, you know, this is again, early, early periods. That I realized I was, it sounds mad to say, but I realized I was lucky. You know, I used to go to other people's houses or see other parents and, you know, whilst my mum at that point was really in heavy depression, like, you know, she, we, we got to a stable base at home, food, everything, and then, then it was almost like my mum was like, okay, cool, they're in school. And then she went into really deep, dark depression. Um, and before that, I remember just thinking, shit, I'm, I think, like realizing myself that I was lucky because, you know, you go to people's houses and the relationships that they had with their fathers and and uh, even with the, the you know their families and stuff, and you could feel it's quite cold. No real relationship, no real all these things. And I was like, you know, and then realizing, looking back, and you know whether it was meant to be or not. Like I used to play pool with my dad after school. You know, I always spent all my time after school with my dad. You know, my mum as well because she grew up with five brothers. So my mum was very tough, tough woman. She understood men as well. I think, you know, so. Like it was never a big thing for my dad to go down the pub or go with me to go with his mates, you know, it was just like, cool. She understood it. Um, and so, you know, at 12 years old, like 11 years old, you know, we used to go play pool. And my, my dad, again, my competitive side, I became so good at pool. He, we used to arrive at a pool and, you know, all the Kenyans would be there being like, oh, mzungu, mzungu, which means like white man, like, let me play your pool. And he'd just be like, no, you can play my son. And uh, so they're like, shut up, you know, whatever, talking Swahili, which I could understand fluently and, and he, my dad couldn't. And uh, they're like, okay, let's bet for some money then, you know, typical, let's get some money out. Um, and yeah, I just used to whip everyone at the table, literally take the whole, and then I used to, he used to give me the money and with the money I used to just buy my dad, you know, buy, buy him a beer, give, take the money home to my mum. So from an early age, all these little things, you know, things that people or you want you buying up your dad your, his, his first pint you know as I was getting older I was realizing after you know I've done all of this already you know you know being with all his mates and watching the rugby and watching England and football um whilst we hadn't been to many matches you know he used to take me we used to go to um watching the the the, re the racing the world rally boxing you know Kenyan boxing so all of these things so I realized no, okay, cool. Well, I'm quite lucky. You know, I've lost my dad and obviously my world and my, my best mate. But there was a part of me that knew, okay, cool, you know, it could have been a lot could have been a lot worse. You and I guess I, I knew I had a I didn't know then, but I had a very good ground solid ground ground that I was on emotionally, you know, and, and So we call that resilience. So it sounds like you you if you felt you had to belief in yourself, the self-belief, self-confidence to cope with problems as they arise. Um, and you're able to bounce back when things went wrong. So you got over, you managed to get through this whole bullying entry into the secondary system. Yeah. Um, 
got accepted amongst the mates eventually. Yeah, yeah amongst my peers. Yeah. But again... It, what, what, the question that, that, that I really like to probe is, you said before that you found the work particularly easy in the middle school area. Did you still... How, how did you... How did you cope with the secondary curriculum, especially as you was getting towards the GCSEs? Um, so again, so when I arrived in secondary school, still felt quite ahead. I was in top, I was put in top sets, yeah. top set in maths, top set in English, yeah. tops because you know in secondary school it's all you put into divided into sets. So you're mm. with your class and your group mm. you, you, every, but then maths, science, and English you're split up and you're divided up into. Your, what your abilities are, you know, which is which is a strange thing as well to sort of experience. But yeah, I always I was always in the top sets because of the education that I had, um, and even in that in the classes, I remember maths. Like as I said, I was way ahead, you know. So so you're in top set of maths, which is meant to be you know the serious class where you know everyone's quite smart and whatever. And I was, I guess that, that's where I wasn't the class clown but you know even in the top set so I was the one who was like talking and like you know getting chatty so I think only one teacher in my maths class uh there was one called Mr Harvey and then after that uh you know probably one of the only teachers who really pushed me um and and made me believe in my own in my own skills was uh my maths teacher um, but in the other classes, I guess it was just like, just slowly letting me slip. Um, and I was, you know, my mum, she'd done everything she needed to do. You know, we always had food on the table. She she just took jobs to make sure that she was always at home when we got home from school. You know, I remember even like now when I think back, just think, wow, that's also, you know, another sacrifice she made to make sure that we didn't go off, go on the wrong path. Um, but yeah, on the schooling aspect, I guess just by year 10, everyone had caught up and, and started going past me. Um, and I guess I, I always had the ability, but no one was pushing me. Mum wasn't pushing me at home because, you know, she's dealing with depression. Um, none of the teachers other than the maths teacher was pushing me. You know, he pushed me because... He put me in statistics class, uh, you know, I didn't even know what the hell that was. And I, you know, he put me into it. So he was always putting me into challenging um, classes and, and properly trying to challenge me. But for the rest of the, probably not fair to say that completely, but you know, um, for me, all the different classes was me exploring, uh, exploring, you know, the, the different cultures of, of London and my school. You know, in maths, it was all the sort of, not the geeks, but the clever guys, quite smart, you know, switched on. And then in science was a class heavily divided, you know, all my, all the white classmates and black black classmates completely separated, segregated, you know. So then I was, you know, mixed race likes. You know, most of the time I'll be with my black classmates, but, you know, I'd always go with my white classmates as well. So I was always, you know, kind of trying to figure out what's going on, trying to... English was, you know, a bit more of a, a more relaxed atmosphere, sort of chilled. A, a, I would say a, a lot more mixed in terms of the... in the ability-wise and the cultures that were going on. Um, 
so yeah so I think I wasn't pushed basically and when I got home you know I did my homework but I wasn't like doing it to the best of my ability I was you know I was probably more like trying to figure out how to survive I guess to some degree and in what sense survive um so I don't know surviving school you know surviving uh you know, used to get lunch money, three pound a day for lunch money and bus fare. And like, I used to save, save that and not spend it at school. And cause you know, I knew that I wasn't going to, I wasn't getting pocket money or, or anything like that. So I guess my mind was less focused on the grades I was getting and more focused on, I don't know, figuring out I don't know. I can't, I can't really say where my mindset was at that time. But if you if you're talking about surviving, then that there's there's some pressure that you're fighting. So what what you, you you're talking about was it economic pressure? Was um, it was it other type social pressure? What what figure that one out for us? Uh, I think it was a mixture of a number of things. It was like I guess trying to figure out where I fitted in. Um, so the word that comes to mind is identity. Yeah, identity. So you're kind of figuring out, you mentioned about black friends, white friends, one of the few mixed race boys in the school perhaps. Yeah, there, there was one or two, but they were not on my side of the, yeah. of the, of the year. So you're, you're, you're dealing with some identity issues here. Yeah. Right. Um, at that point there was, you know, no real father figure at all in my life. I don't think I used to go see my dad's friends occasionally, but not really. Uh, my mom was really depressed at this point. Yeah. You know, she was like, she was like drinking, um, quite heavily at one point. Um, and she was really low and obviously my sister my sister was like, you know, she was my best friend. Me and her was, and still are very close. Um, and I always looked out for her and she always looked out for me. But I guess now I'm getting a little bit older. I'm starting to, you know, go out with my own mates. And like where I always took my sister with me, you know, always looking out for my sister. I guess it's the beginning of me being like, nah, you can't come with me today. You know, I'm going out. I'm going to start doing some some not dodgy stuff, but, you know, start being a boy and going out and causing a bit of mischief and, and start, yeah. Mm. So, so they 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 are all they're challenging times anyway, though. The, for all young people that those ages, 15, 14, 15, 16, they're quite, you know, passage of rights years in many ways. Yeah, and but, start to chat. Yeah. To tra- I think I, that's when I really started to challenge everything and challenging. Mm challenging school challenging teachers you know out outside exploring outside mm. asking mum for permission you know the sort of the different personalities I guess started you know because at home I was a, my mum's very strict so I was like an angel and then obviously outside as soon as you walk leave that door you start you you're becoming a bit different like a bit of the jack the lad like kind of sort of character a bit more boisterous a bit more on it like you know, I'm starting to get a lot more confident in myself. Um, you know, have, 
having fights at school, outside of school and things like that, you know, going up, going around and testing your limits, I guess. Mm. Familiar. Familiar for many. Yeah, of course. Boys and men, yeah. Um, young man. So, so we're getting this picture now then that you're very capable. You're dealing with some pretty difficult circumstances. You talk about your mum and your kind of developing identity and it's, you've only been in the country a few years. It's not like, yeah. you know. <laughs> what was interesting is yeah. I shed my Kenyan accent. It was gone. Um, pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I've cool. always wondered about that. Literally, you know, you can hear videos of me when I was 12 and I sound fresh off the boat. <laughs> and then, you know, people always surprised. I was like, what? You're born in Kenya. Is that because you, you, you're one of your key instincts is to find a group and fit in? I think I just adapt. Yeah, I think, you know, I've, going back to my childhood, you know, I was the only mixed race kid in, in an all black school. Um, and then then come to Park House, which is pretty much, I was the only mixed race kid, you know, there's Asians and other um, sort of cultures in there. But then I was the only mixed race kid in an all white school, in an all white area, um, what, what, what it felt like. Um, but again, I didn't notice it, if I'm being completely honest. Um, so I, I guess I, for me, I don't really, you know, obviously I know there's different cultures and different colors and different races, but I don't really notice it. You know, I'm able to, I'm more about the person I can, you know, can feel uh, and and was able to adapt. Yeah. Um, flexible. Flexible, yeah. Yeah. And so when it comes to exam time, are you saying that you didn't like... Uh, um, I think I knew, I two things. I think I knew I was capable. Mm. And at the same time, no one was pushing, you know, I was looking around and like no one was pushing me. And I said, this is the point where my mom was, you know, quite really bad. Uh, you know, my mom's absolutely great now and one of the strongest humans I know. But at that point, I remember uh, when I got the results, just going to my mom's room and being like, mom, yeah, look, this is what I got. You know, it was like 1A, <laughs> the rest were pretty much C's and D's. And there was no like, you know, there was no like sort of telling me off or, or you didn't do well or you did well or whatever. No reaction. No real reaction. My mom was, you know, completely depressed at that point. Mm. So, and I guess that would, the lead up to it was, I knew when I, I think I knew when I applied myself, I could, I could get good grades. But then I was just kind of like, what's the, I, I don't know. I don't even know where I was putting my energy at that time. I think into all those, other, you know, developing as a, as a young man, more so probably on my social skills. And mm. so, yeah, it wasn't that, really. Was the A in, in the maths? In the maths, yeah. Yeah. So, so you, you see, see yourself as, as feeling a bit let down. Maybe, oh yeah, but maybe yourself let yourself down. Maybe the teachers let you down. Oh, but some still, teachers, yeah, they were like, yeah. But you you got that A in maths, so that 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 A in maths, that's that's excellence, right? Yeah. And we we're gonna wrap the conversation up now, mm -hmm. but we're gonna dwell on the fact that you got the A in the maths because that is the beginning, that achievement 
of where you take your life next. Yeah. Um, and we've talked a lot today about your formative years, uh, both in Kenya and in, in, in Southwest London. Um, fascinating story. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people out there who are listening to this, because it's been a long one. Anyone yeah. who's still with us, it's it's been a long <laughs> one. Um, but fascinating and probably rings a lot of bells with a lot of people, you know, for various reasons. Because uh, the, the, the journey, if you like, of, of growing up in a sort of anywhere really but in in in, in a city like london that it it, it 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 has its challenges but it has its rewards as well and those rewards uh we're gonna find out about more in in future episodes not just in your story but in in stories of others that we're gonna bring to the table yes so i, I just want to thank you for um being completely as as honest and as candid as I've ever heard you, um, I don't know what it is about these radio sc- scenarios, but Podcasts. it does. It, it, well, no, I was I was thinking I used to listen to something called uh, in the psychiatrist chair, and when when people get behind a mic and they get asked questions, all kinds of things come up that they probably didn't even think about talking about. You know, yeah. and I think you've done that. You've talked a lot about your life. M- Good forty percent of it I wasn't aware of, so for me it's been absolutely fascinating, and hopefully it's for others that have been listening, and I'm sure people are going to look forward to the next step in the story, or should I say the journey? Yeah, the journey, the story. Yeah, yeah. we haven't quite decided yet. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Steve, and thank you, Russell. All right. And uh, thank you guys for listening. Exactly.